0: Hello, and welcome to the Halloween Podcast, a podcast about all things Halloween. I'm Craig, and today we are going to be going over something I am pretty excited to go over, one of my favorite things, and that is the, the 1978 Halloween, uh, directed by John Carpenter. One of my favorite movies of all time. It is my favorite movie of all time. Um, <laughs> a lot of that has to do with personal nostalgia. Uh, Halloween as a franchise was something i watched a lot as a very young kid probably younger than i should have been seeing it but whatever <laughs> um and it's been a lifelong love for me might have something to do with um my love for all things spooky and halloween itself honestly like um literally some of my earliest memories revolve around this movie so pretty excited about it and uh because i kind of have a little bit of knowledge about it um I didn't really write a ton. Uh, all these episodes, I, I tend to write. I, I write them, but um, you know, I, I might riff on certain things as I go through. So it's more of like a loose outline, but I still try to follow it a little bit. And today's is still a loose outline, but much looser than usual. Um, I'm feeling kind of confident that I can just go with this. Uh, if I mess up or forget something, forget to add something, that's you know, I will cringe at that later, but, um, and also like all things on this podcast, it will be brief, just a brief history, keep things short and sweet. And, uh, th- th- you know, especially with this topic, cause there are countless other podcasts out there covering this film and this franchise and things like, you know, revolving around this, um, Halloweenies is a good one. If if you've never heard of Halloweenies, uh, definitely recommend checking those guys out. They do a like a three-hour analysis on every Halloween that's uh, been made. They have an episode, you know, going over every single one and even other horror film franchises like uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and so on. Um, but that's just one of them. There's many Halloween-centric podcasts. Halloween, you know, in terms of the film. Anyway, um, you know today, the day I'm recording this, Friday, uh, they are the the new 2021 Halloween Kills is going to be released. Um, I will be go see- I will be seeing it later on, which I'm 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 excited for just because I'll get excited about any Halloween release. But my expectations are pretty low because um as somebody who is like a really big fan of the franchise i honestly wasn't so impressed with the last one i was kind of disappointed with it and i kind of expected to be but you know they the way it was marketed there was so much hype around it and i just feel like it didn't live up to what i thought it was going to be or what i wanted it to be and so i am you know i have reservations about this new one but nonetheless i'm still pretty excited to see it and um, i'm excited to see halloween being so relevant again um and uh yeah so with it coming out today i really wanted to go over the original the og the best um halloween of them all and that is the you know the og the original i wanted to get wanted to go over that today um so let's go ahead and jump right into it Uh, john carpenter's halloween was a was a pretty low budget film um three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars is what was spent on the film and it went on to grow seventy million it was first released on october 25th 1978 in kansas and uh, steadily spread theater to theater across the country and absolutely terrified moviegoers and also birthed a trend in the horror genre Um, that is the slasher trend. Halloween really established a lot of tropes, common tropes that are now found in horror, specifically slashers. Um, and it really kicked off, a uh, again, a trend in horror. Um, it really kind of created the genre slasher, even though it was definitely not the first slasher with, uh, you know, movies like psycho uh black christmas which we'll talk about a little bit we'll talk about that here in a little bit um and texas chainsaw massacre and maybe more that i'm unaware of all of these movies uh predate halloween but halloween was like the one the one that really stuck and resonated with people so much so to and you know inspire a lot of um what is, what is the word I want to use? Like spinoffs, I guess. Um, basically, if it weren't for Michael Myers on Halloween, I don't think, and I don't think anyone would disagree with me on this, I don't think uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street and things like that would exist. Um, and that's not, uh, you know, that's not a unique opinion to me. I think that's kind of almost considered fact. But anyway, um, let's uh, move along here uh as you know the uh or as you probably know which that reminds me uh there's probably going to be some spoilers in this episode um if you haven't seen halloween the original then uh maybe not listen to this but i can't uh, it's almost impossible for me to think that uh you haven't seen it if you're listening to this uh so yeah anyway uh As you probably know, the film was Jamie Lee Curtis's film debut, and alongside her starred people such as Donald Pleasance, Nancy Loomis, PJ Soles, and uh, Charles Cyphers, to name a few. And many of those actors would also go on to film in other uh, films of John's. Uh, It's like he kind of established a little crew and stuck with them. And on that note, let's go ahead and take a brief look at John himself uh, leading up to Halloween. John was born in New York in January of 1948, and he and his family would move to Bowling Green, Kentucky in 1953, and it was there that John would spend his childhood and adolescence. Uh, Carpenter had an early interest in film, and he knew from a young age that this was an avenue he would want to pursue. Uh, He even began making his own 8mm horror films before he even made it to high school. and in 1968, he would transfer from the Western Kentucky University to the University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts, and he would eventually drop out of uh, that school as well to make his first film. And uh, just to keep things moving here and kind of skip over, you know, his real early films and collaborations, I'm gonna move to his first bigger film, uh, Dark Star, which, as a huge Grateful Dead fan, um, I love the. Uh, title of this movie i've never seen it i know it's some sort of space you know cent centric theme some sort of sci-fi movie uh dark star cost about sixty thousand to make and carpenter worked on it with uh dan o'bannon and dan o'bannon would go on later to make the film alien which believe it or not i have still yet to see alien i know a lot of people think that's crazy but i have not seen alien yet and from there, John would go on to make Assault on Precinct, uh, Precinct 13 in 1976, which, again, was another low-budget film, And is, cons- but it is considered by Carpenter himself to be his first real film. Um, Assault is a- another movie I have yet to see. It's on my list, you know. Um, surprisingly, being a fan of horror and Halloween, uh, the franchise and the holiday, of course, I honestly haven't seen that many John Carpenter movies. Uh, I haven't even seen The Thing. Like I've seen parts of it uh, when I was younger, but not enough to remember. I have definitely seen the first three Halloweens. Um, the Fog, which The Fog is a really good one in my opinion. I really love that movie. Um, uh, I've I, I seen Body Bags and um, Vampires. I think that's what it was called. It was like a 90s movie. What else of John's have I seen? Uh, Did I say body bags? And a a short film called Cigarette Burns. I I know I've seen that. But anyway, I'm digressing heavily. (laughs) Uh, In 1978, John would also write the film Eyes of Laura Mars, which was directed by Irving Kirshner. And this was John's first time being involved in a major studio project. And that pretty much catches us up With his history leading up to Halloween Uh Brief yes But that is the way she goes on this podcast Now we are going to move on To Halloween And apologies if uh You hear a mower in the background Um The neighbor Apparently has just decided To start mowing um, And we're just going to go with it I, I suppose I could pause the recording And continue later but Uh We're just going to go with it. Um, (laughs) Halloween was initially thought up by independent film producer Erwin Yablons. And Yablons wanted to make a movie about a deranged killer who stalked babysitters. He uh, liked the concept because he thought everyone could relate to the idea. Either you had had a babysitter at some point or had been a babysitter yourself. And, uh... Excuse me. After seeing Assault on Precinct 13... Yablons wanted Carpenter for the job and offered him $10,000 for his work and John agreed so long as he could have his name above the title and have full uh, creative control over the project. And then John would uh, start drafting the original story with his girlfriend at the time, Deborah Hill which Deborah is just as important to the Halloween franchise as John. Um, Obviously specifically the first three films since those were the only three that John and Deborah were a part of, um, but yeah, she is just a, just as important to uh, this whole thing. <laughs> Yablons then had the idea to have the movie take place during the Halloween night, and at that time, Halloween had not been a central theme to a film. Um, but it was not the first movie, uh, specifically horror slasher movie, to be centered around a holiday. As we kind of talked about earlier, Black Christmas already did that in 1973. And truth be told, there are many similarities between the two. And I've seen both, and both are great. And Black Christmas is pretty spooky. Uh, the, the killer, from what I remember, I've only seen it once. But the killer is, I remember being quite disturbed by him. Like, he makes me uncomfortable <laughs> with his breathing on the phone and such. Um, but Halloween will always remain my favorite. Uh, obviously (laughs) Um, also want to note that uh, John not only did John write a lot of the movie obviously alongside Deborah which we're getting ready to get into here in a second but John Carpenter also scored the movie Um, and uh, we'll get into that too I might as well just leave that for later too sorry all over the place as usual moving on Uh, it took it took around 10 days to write the initial screenplay And according to Deborah Hill, the script took about three weeks to write. Um, Looking back on the Samhain traditions, see Samhain even popping up here. (laughs) The two liked the idea of Halloween being a night where evil could be unleashed upon the living. And that was the main idea behind the the shape, which the shape is Michael Myers, if you didn't already know that. Uh, Most people know that, but a lot of people don't. Um, The idea behind Michael was... Was uh, He was kind of like a blank shape for us to project whatever we wanted onto him, hence the um, the white mask. Well, I think the idea existed before the mask. He's just like this evil incarnate, essentially. And like I just said, um, apparently this was inspired by the Samhain traditions. They just wanted Michael to be representative of an evil force that uh, permeated the night during this night, you know. He was everywhere. You could not escape this evil that, you know, it only comes one time a year. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was the idea behind that. And although it is suggested that uh, Michael is a mortal man, he is also seen to be just a force of pure, unstoppable evil. Like I said, Uh, an evil that escaped and returned to the town where he committed his first murder. And the film honestly doesn't have a large cast. You basically get two groups of characters during the entire film: the kids, which includes you know the girls, the boyfriends, which there's only really one boyfriend we see in the whole movie, and the children that they're babysitting. So Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace, and then you have Loomis and Bracket, uh, Sheriff Bracket. Uh, Deborah wrote most of All the Females dialogue, while Carpenter wrote um, more for the characters of Loomis and fleshing out what exactly Michael was. And uh, the two decided to set the film in Haddonfield, Illinois, a fictional town with its uh, name derived from Deborah Hill's hometown of Haddonfield, New Jersey. And Haddonfield represents your average Midwestern town, and despite the film being filmed in Pasadena, California, uh, they really succeeded in capturing the vibe of a midwestern town. Um, I grew up and live in the Midwest, and Haddonfield is is it just captures the essence of it so much. And I can remember when I was young, you know, riding in the car, looking around town when I was just a little boy, you know, like I used to like to creep myself out because the town I grew up in looked so much like Haddonfield, you know, it it was fun to pretend as we drove through town that I was driving through Haddonfield, um, uh, so the film plot, there's going to be spoilers in this episode, again, if you haven't seen Halloween, the original, um, you're, you're going to get a little bit of spoilage going on, um, it, it opens up with a point of view shot of this house, as you know, and we, we are then shown two young people uh, making out on the couch before going upstairs to continue on. Um, and then we enter the house, grab a knife, the boyfriend leaves, go upstairs, kill the young girl. We go outside where we meet our parents, and it is revealed that we are a six-year-old child who just murdered his sister. So... The idea behind the movie, again, as you know, was that this six-year-old boy murders his sister. He is then locked up for 15 years in a sanitarium under the supervision of a Dr. Loomis, played by uh, Donald Pleasance. Um And one night, whilst being, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, while being picked up to be transferred to a, another facility... The killer, Michael, escapes. And from there, he uh, kills a uh, tow truck driver, steals his coveralls, um, and makes his way back to his hometown, Haddonfield, where he breaks into the local hardware store, steals a mask, some knives, and some rope, and continues to reign terror throughout the night. Um, uh, he is spotted by the three main girls as they are leaving school, where they uh, kind of get, not necessarily confrontational, but you know, they they troll him a little bit, and perhaps this is what marks them, because they, as you know, go on to be his three main victims. There's honestly not a lot of kills in Halloween, nor is there a lot of blood, um, and we'll get to that here in a second, and continuing on here to, to refresh your memory, if you haven't seen halloween in a long time um the shape continues to stalk the three girls he ends up killing all but one of them laurie strode being the final and surviving girl and at the end of the movie he is then shot down by his doctor dr loomis and uh to spoil the ending again spoilers (laughs) uh once Mike or uh, Loomis goes to the to investigate to or not to investigate, but to you know inspect, make sure Michael's dead, to take one last look at his body, whatever the deal is. Michael is no longer there, so the evil continues, you know, to return again. Um, so that's a basic uh, rundown of the plot there. Uh, again, a refresher. Now here's some interesting things. You probably already know these, but just in case we're going to go over it cuz it's cool and um yeah so the the mask of michael myers perhaps the one of the most iconic parts of this movie you know he uh you know these these horror slasher icons almost take on the uh the uh celebrity of a superhero almost you know everyone knows them even if they've never seen the movie michael is definitely one of them michael's mask if you didn't already know, is actually a modified William Shatner mask. Uh, back in the day, I believe it was Don Post Studios, had a line of um, Star Trek masks made. And the William Shatner mask, the Captain Kirk mask, was taken from a life cast, an actual life cast of Shatner, um, but not from a Star Trek movie. It was from some horror movie. I honestly forget the name. I should have. I should have reminded myself and looked that up um but it was it was from some horror movie that uh shatner was in they needed a life cast of his face for a specific scene i believe the scene involved him burning or something like that and they needed the the head in the shot um so Dom post made a mask from that captain kirk mask and i like i said i do believe they made several uh mask for other members of the cast of Star Trek as well. Tommy Lee Wallace who was a friend of John Carpenter and also the <coughs> excuse me, the production designer and editor on Halloween um, was tasked with getting the mask for the shape and he went to a store a costume shop I, I believe whatever it was and he picked up two masks one of which being the Shatner mask, and the other being, in, uh, I believe, an Emmett Kelly mask. And um, it was it, they ultimately landed on the Shatner mask because what Tommy did is he took the mask, he widened the eye holes, cut them out a little bit more, ripped the sideburns and the eyebrows off, spray-painted the mask white. Um, I think they did a couple different kinds of white Uh and then I, th- I believe they did a, a just a light touch of black spray paint on the hair, and instantly everyone knew that was the mask. You know, after he had done that uh, that modulation to the mask, it shent, uh, sent chills down everyone's spine, and Michael was born. Um, <laughs> and now the. The second, probably the second most important aspect, honestly, maybe even the most, more so over the mask, although I can't imagine that Halloween would have been what it was had they gone with the Emmett Kelly mask. But anyway, probably one of the other biggest parts of the film that make it work is the music. John Carpenter, throughout his career, one of his big... uh, One of his things is he's kind of a he's a jack of all trades, you know. On his films, he is involved with so much, and that is true here. You know, he wrote, directed, produced, obviously wrote alongside Deborah Hill, uh, but wrote, directed, produced *Halloween*. He also scored the entire film, and he did so in three days. And the score is iconic. It's another thing that um, whether or not you've seen the movie, like *The Mask*. You know, whether or not you've seen the movie, you know the music. Um, It's a simple, uh, as John says, it it was taken from a simple 5-4 rhythm that his father taught him, the main theme that is. Um, His father taught him uh, 4-5 time or or 5-4 time on bongos when he was a child because his his father was a musician as well. And, um, you know, when he was just doing, when he was doing the film uh, the score for the film he recalled this uh the da 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 rhythm and uh put it on the piano and that made up the main theme from there he sculpted out the other themes you know and made one of the best soundtracks in horror i don't think um mo- i don't think a lot of people would disagree with that uh, it's definitely one of the most iconic and classic um and actually, when John showed the film to, um, some folks before its release, I don't know if it was like a, I forget if it was like a public test screening or just for executives or what it was. I think it was for executives he showed them the film and, and it wasn't understood because he, he showed it to him without music and the people didn't understand, like it wasn't scary to them. It didn't frighten them. But as soon as the music was added, uh... It just made everything and the music is very much a character in and out of itself um i believe the folks on Halloweenies said something similar and I, I agreed i agree with it um that the music and the town are almost characters in and out of themselves uh, and you know music is very vital and horror in general or not necessarily music but scoring ambiance sound it kind of really helps um not only add to the vibe but kind of like it it communicates with you you know it tells you something is about to happen something happened this is a moment of tension whatever so in general it's pretty music theme score sound is very vital to a horror movie working in general but anyway i'm getting all over the place here uh and real quick, I just remembered I didn't mention that the shape Michael was played by, um, mainly played by Nick Castle, which was another friend of John Carpenter's. And um, I believe Nick went on to direct several of his own films after this. It wasn't solely played by Nick, um, Deborah Hill. Like, for example, uh, in the beginning of the film, uh, when we're still six year old Michael, the hand you see in the beginning re- getting the knife out of the drawer is actually that of Deborah Hill's hand. Um, and I think I heard she might have wore the outfit in one scene. I'm not sure because, um, like I said, multiple people kind of donned the outfit for different scenes. But it was mainly Nick Castle. And then there is a scene towards the end of the movie, as you know, where Michael is briefly unmasked. And that was played by the stuntman um, that they used, you know, for the falling out of the window, uh, Tony, Mar- Tony Moran. Um, that's actually the face of Tony you see there. Um, and, uh, while we're on this topic of, um, you know, Nick Castle and other cast members, one of the things I did really enjoy about the 2018 Halloween was seeing, you know, people return, uh, John Carpenter returned, um, I think he got an executive producer credit, but I think, um, you know, according to himself and David Gordon Green, who directed the movie with Danny McBride, uh, John was more of like a, he just like a voiced voiced his opinion here and there on certain things and such, but mostly granted all creative control to David, Gordon Green, and company. But um, he did return in a big way for this movie with uh, the soundtrack. He scored this one. Uh, he's scoring the one that's uh, premiering tonight. Um, and he did so with his son, Corey Carpenter, and Daniel Davies. And if you haven't heard them, I definitely suggest going and checking out not only that film soundtrack, but specifically, uh, John has released with Daniel Davies and Corey Carpenter three albums called Lost Themes, and essentially the idea behind these albums is theme music for movies that don't exist, and they're really good. Like, um, yeah, if, if you enjoy that kind of 80s-inspired retro synthwave wave sound you know that John Carpenter sound I would definitely check these albums out they it's 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 a nice mix between modern and retro influences and you know that's one of the big things another big thing that Carpenter is known for in general is his score this score work that he does in his films like the music he makes for his films is just good it's great I mean um I've even listened to some of the scores from John's movies that I haven't seen and enjoy it thoroughly. So now Halloween, as I kinda said in the beginning, was a pretty massive success. Uh kind of grew slowly but surely. And um up until Blair Witch, I think it was like the highest grossing independent film ever made. Um and it was actually kinda well received by critics as well. I mean I, I think even um Siskel and Ebert had had good things to say about it at the time. Uh, Like all things, though, it did have its criticisms. And a lot of people have tried to analyze the film and maybe project things onto it. Like, well, let's, let's just start with saying Halloween started, as I said earlier, a lot of tropes and horror. Specifically, the whole final girl thing, the death of promiscuous teens theme the merging of sex and violence, things like that. And a lot of people have kinda there there's a group of people that project like a misogynistic uh aura around Halloween. Which is not that was not John's intended purpose for the film. The i the the, the the idea of the movie was not to say that promiscuous females or teens um are on the wrong path or, you know, should be killed or whatever there was no commentary like that you know no commentary on be the the clean nosed um virgin you know none of that i don't think any anyone on the crew really was about that um in their own lives so i don't see why they would uh try and make a movie about that um but a lot of people have projected that on the movie you know because it is the studious virgin who is uh Ultimately, the one who ends up winning because, I guess, winning because they survive. I mean, no one really wins. He gets away. And although that might have been the plot, I don't think it was a topic of comment. You know, I don't think it was commentary. I don't think it was saying anything. John and everyone else who worked on the movie, you know, states that it wasn't trying to say that at all. This was simply just a movie to scare you with. Um, in fact, from listening to interviews with lots of the people, you know, involved with this, they tend to, from hearing them talk, they a little bit more on the liberal side of things anyway, so I don't see why they would be making commentary like that. But anyway, I'm kind of rambling here. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, a lot of people did project that on that, again, because like I just said, you know, you had the virgin surviving and the promiscuous teens being the ones who get killed off and perhaps later on as this trope got um as this as these tropes manifest in multiple other horror films down the way maybe it did get a little misogynist I don't know and it did get a little too much I mean it's it's a I'm honestly tired of the trope now you know like I honestly despite Halloween being my favorite film franchise, I am no longer a huge fan of slashers, to be honest, because they all are so formulaic, and this, it's like the same thing, you know, group of teens, virgin lives, uh, promiscuous teens die, you know, or bad kids, whatever it is, Um, and I don't know, maybe some of those uses of those tropes were a bit on the misogynistic side uh but i I don't think that was intended here in this movie um yeah so that's pretty much the majority of the the negative criticisms that have been weighed against this movie um and whatever you're gonna have criticism with everything uh it's fine so after the success of halloween one um they uh the the executives and such they came to John and I I just remembered I'm so sorry I have not mentioned Mustafa or Mustafa forgive me if I pronounce that wrong um I'll go with Mustafa that's that's how I'm going to pronounce his name Mustafa Akkad um was a big part of this project as well and through the entire franchise um he and now Malik Akkad, his son, is a big part of this as well. Uh, anyway, Mustafa was a uh, producer of Halloween, and again, throughout the entire franchise. And so, basically, the producers everyone wanted to make a sequel to Halloween, which John and Deborah didn't really want to do. They kind of felt that Halloween was a standalone film, and also at this time sequels weren't as common as they are now. I mean, now, especially in the horror genre, uh, you just get almost overloaded with sequels. I mean, how many paranormal activities have there been? You know, how many conjuring movies, whatever it is, you know, that's that's become a common trope as well in horror is the sequel. But anyway, the producers, the executives wanted to do a second film. John and Deborah weren't so... You know, keen to the idea, but I—they agreed to do it. I think they might have might have even been contractually obligated to do so, Uh, but they reluctantly agreed. The movie was not directed by John Carpenter. Instead, this time it was directed by Rick Rosenthal. John and Deborah did, though, write the movie, Um, and it's. Before I get into that real quick, I want to say that um, the reason why I'm bringing this up, because this, this episode is more about the first Halloween than anything, is because in 1980, I believe it was, I can't remember if Halloween 2 came out in 81 or 82, but around the time, a year prior or whatever to the release of Halloween, during the filming of Halloween 2, they, they came back and they actually... Uh, added some scenes to the original Halloween, filmed some additional scenes for the um, TV version of Halloween, because the film's quite short, and they needed to lengthen it up for TV, and also these scenes would start to, um, well, it's been so long since I've seen the TV version, (laughs) to be honest. Um, I can't remember if in the additional scenes it is revealed that Laurie is in fact michael's sister i can't remember if the additional scenes actually are what revealed that or if it was not until halloween 2 itself came out that it was fully revealed it might have been that um yeah i think it it was that way but anyway additional scenes were filmed for the movie and in those scenes we actually get a little bit of glimpse into uh michael in the asylum you know smith's Grove or sanitarium i should say or whatever it is uh, the institution of Smith's Grove. We see a little bit of um, Loomis' uh, dialogue with other employees about Michael. Um, yeah, so in Halloween 2, though, for sure it is revealed that um, Michael and Lori are related. Uh, John wasn't so much a fan of this idea and still isn't um and actually if it weren't for this idea um perhaps the sequels that followed this wouldn't have gotten so all over the place and crazy and wild um two main things were introduced in this movie um that would perhaps prove to be problematic later and that is the relationship between michael and laurie and the introduction of Samhain, um, or as Loomis calls it in this movie, Samhain, being something uh, important or relevant in Michael, uh, Michael's makeup. Now, we do know, as I said in this episode, that the character himself, Michael, was inspired by the Samhain beliefs that, uh, you know, evil could reign on this one night, it could penetrate the veil. But, um,. The introduction of Samhain, or again, Sam Hain, as Loomis calls it, in this movie would later go on to um, make Michael be involved in some weird cult stuff, and it just got way too crazy. Um, here I go, getting off track again. Let me get back to what I was originally saying, and that is that uh, John still does not like this idea that Lori and um, Michael were related. And it says that the majority of the script was a result of being rushed, contractual um, obligations, and also he attributes much of the story to just being drunk and just trying to crank this thing out. You know, Uh, I think, like I said, I think they were really ready to move on from Michael. They did all that they wanted to do with the movie in the original one. And John had already directed another film in the time between the two. um, That is The Fog. I mentioned that earlier. Definitely recommend watching The Fog. Um, I really like it. I, I don't know how other people feel about it, but I, I love the atmosphere of that movie, and the and the score is great. Anyway, and that, you know, there that's the, the basic idea of the origins of Halloween 2, and even though this episode is just about Halloween 1, I might as well kind of touch on Halloween 3 since that was the last movie to have Carpenter and co. involved with and Halloween 3 was by far one of the least successful because fans were kind of disappointed with the movie it has the title Halloween it has a lot of the same crew and you know cast even well not a lot but there are some returning cast members here but it has literally nothing to do with Michael Myers the shape Haddonfield anything like that Um, I think Halloween might be playing on a on a TV screen during the movie at some point but anyway um Halloween 3 the idea was to try and make an anthology series out of Halloween so that every movie that came out would be a different story that was just related to um Halloween and uh, so they made this movie about um a crazy factory owner who's again a pract- he's uh, he's actually a pagan and um, I, he uh, is trying to uh, keep in line with the old uh, Samhain traditions of human sacrifice, uh, <laughs> There, which we'll get into that when we go over, sa- when we do a dedicated episode on Samhain. Um, it's a little muddy there, we'll just say. But anyway, the idea of human sacrifice being tied to Salen, um, is is a heavy theme in this movie, this factory owner. Wants to sacrifice children and plans to do so through some accursed Halloween masks. Um, Kind of a sci-fi horror movie. Again, wasn't received well. Kind of pissed people off. The Akkads then everyone lost money on it. And um, so, Mike, that idea, the anthology idea was completely abandoned. And uh, it continued on with Michael all the way up till literally today, when the new, um, the new Halloween will be releasing. Personally, on the anthology note, that's really kind of an interesting idea, and I, I kind of hope someday somebody does something similar because there's not a ton of Halloween centric movies, well, particularly not a ton of good ones. Um, and I think it would be cool to see somebody do something like that, you know. We get a film every year or something that's centered around Halloween, the holiday, but it's a completely different horror story. Shudder should do something like that. I also really like the idea that um, the folks on Halloweenies had, um, I forget which host it was, but had this idea of making a a um, an anthology series based around Haddonfield itself, like all the different characters and side stories you could have revolving around the halloween multiverse um which i really like that idea that that would be cool shutter should also listen to to that guy (laughs) and do something with that anyway um i've kind of been rambling here i probably am going to listen back to this in editing and be like oh you know i should have said that i should have not said this i should have done this as i do with every episode but just going to cut it off here um I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, And uh, again, if if you didn't already know most of these things, I mean, to me, this stuff is like common knowledge just because I'm such a nerd about this movie. I've watched the special features so many times. I've listened to so many podcasts about it. So to me, it feels like all the history behind the first Halloween is just like general common knowledge. But if not, I hope you learned something from it. Uh, if you like horror or if you like you know Halloween which again if you if you clicked on this episode I'm assuming you did yeah so I hope this episode was all right Uh, again I mostly just freed you know just improvised this episode so hopefully it was still kind of coherent and um, yeah thanks for listening I do not know what the next episode is going to be I have not planned that out yet But um, until that episode, take care and uh, stay safe.